The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, I'm Dr. Dean Schroffnagel, Senior Deputy Editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Ivor Douglas, Professor of Medicine at the University of Colorado. Dr. Douglas was the lead author of an article that appears in the November 2015 issue of the Annals entitled Implications of Marijuana Decriminalization on the Practice of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine. Dr. Douglas, your article covers the respiratory effects of marijuana as well as the implications of decriminalization. Could you comment on the latter? What can we expect as decriminalization becomes more established? Well, thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to review the highlights of this uh, article. I should focus on the fact that this was a a report specifically requested by the American Thoracic Society and was commissioned and presented by a work group that was constituted by some uh, significant content experts, both in marijuana policy and health, as well as in public health. We are in the midst of a remarkable uh, societal and cultural transition in the U.S. and uh, perhaps internationally where we're seeing uh, now three of the U.S. states, uh, Washington, Oregon, and Colorado, where I'm based, decriminalizing marijuana with a significant change in the way that uh, marijuana consumption is impacting human health, uh, is uh, affecting societal norms. And we um, had really focused on those policy aspects of decriminalization and the potential health impacts in the domain of our society, respiratory, critical care, and sleep. We've highlighted in our report several key policy and public health implications of decriminalization. And of a highest area of interest is the impact of the decriminalization on commercial production, distribution, um, and consumption, with several areas in mind. And the first primarily is that of uh, the involvement of multinational tobacco, food, and beverage corporations on the commercial production of marijuana and marijuana products, specifically um, that there are clear uh, scientific evidence that there is an increased co-ingestion utilization of tobacco and marijuana that there has been a long and not always positive association between uh, large corporations and the commercialization of uh, substances like tobacco and now marijuana that may well have uh, significant policy and health implications, but particularly because lung specialists, pulmonary and critical care specialists, and sleep specialists are likely to be on the front leading edge of the health implications or consequences of decriminalization, we felt it was really very important to understand the impacts of commercial production and distribution. The second large challenge that we were faced with in conclusions uh, of this particular analysis was that there really is an unquantified understanding of the public health implications of marijuana utilization on a mass scale. I think what's quite remarkable is the extent to which uh, decriminalization in at least two of the three states I mentioned, Colorado and now Washington, has been transformative in terms of public consumption, such that most of the decriminalization resulted in legalization for private consumption and possession. It's very clear that public consumption is really a, uh, a common phenomenon in these states, and we anticipate that in terms of the public health 
and personal health implications, widespread exposure to, uh, for example, um, combustible marijuana, uh, unanticipated ingestion of marijuana-containing compounds and foods may well have very important implications that need to be considered because the health consequences either negative or potentially positive, just really are inadequately understood. And the consequence of that is the the real need and mandate to enhance not just decriminalization of utilization, but essentially the decriminalization of scientific study and thus enhance federal funding to research the behaviors uh, and health consequences of use of marijuana, both in the uh, combustible and ingested forms, as part of uh, a normative societal uh, behavior and practice. Those were the, the large domains. And so within that, of course, was the notion that individual states are going to regulate cannabinoid and marijuana use differently. And so we anticipate that the full spectrum of health policy and public health applications uh, really are currently incompletely understood. Yeah, it sounds like there will be a lot of debate and discussion about the uh, health policies uh, in the near future. When considering the health effects of marijuana, is it useful to separate out the effects of cannabinoids and the effects of smoking? So you touch on probably one of the most challenging areas in the epidemiology and health outcomes related to uh, marijuana and cannabinoid uh, use which is that co-ingestions, not just actually of marijuana and tobacco products, but marijuana and other substances of use and misuse, make for very difficult analysis when it comes to lung health, as an example. You ask about specifically about the effects uh, of tobacco smoking and marijuana smoking. Uh, Of course, there's been a very substantial scientific effort to look at this, either in large retrospective studies and a few smaller prospective analyses, particularly focusing on the diseases of the lung related to lung parenchyma, the airway, carcinogenesis, and then inflammation. It does seem that it is imperative to be able to systematically separate out the two effects, because while it seems that the effects can be partially additive, the confounding effect of co-ingestion of tobacco, particularly tobacco smoking, makes it very difficult to definitively establish whether, for example, inhaled cannabis, uh, mar- combustible marijuana smoking, is causative in chronic bronchitis. That's a very fine example of an area where clearly chronic tobacco use and chronic marijuana use are strongly associated with that outcome of chronic bronchitis. But because of the congestion uh, confounding, it is an area that absolutely will need to be focused on in a careful, scientifically robust and cautious way to really pick apart those two effects. The reason being is that the purpose of our review was by no means to uh, outwardly damn all cannabinoids as being unquestionably harmful, disease-causative, although they clearly is abundant evidence, but to really understand from a, a quantitative fashion what the dose effect was. And we are challenged not just by the co-ingestion, but the fact that because cannabinoids are so very variable in their manufacture, in their purity, in their contamination, that understanding the effect of marijuana itself as opposed to marijuana in any contaminants or marijuana at high concentration will need to be a further layer of analysis in prospective evaluations in the future. Yeah, I think I was also thinking about the cannabinoid, the chemical, 
or the chemicals and the effect of smoking a marijuana joint because I think in your paper you say that marijuana or the cannabinoids have some beneficial value on uh, airway function, yet the um, airway histology of marijuana smokers is not so favorable. I wonder if you could comment on that, maybe on just telling me a little bit about the the effects of marijuana on airway function and on airway histology. You may want to separate out the effect of the uh, cannabinoid versus the effect of smoking a marijuana joint. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a key and essential contrast. I think it obviously is important to remind ourselves that the method of inhalation, uh, a joint um, a water pipe combined with tobacco, alone with tobacco, the depth of inhalation, whether it's rolled in commercial paper or in contaminated or soaked papers, will all have an effect. That's the first part. The second part is that highly purified THC as uh, oils, vapors, and resins is now being made commercially available for smoking in electronic pens that makes for an even more complicated analysis. But my point here is clarification. And the key point here is that in a regular joint, the concentration of THC can be very high or very low. And we should remind ourselves that when we talk about cannabinoids, we appreciate that THC is the dominant cannabinoid, but CBD and other uh, cannabinoids are important, although much lower in concentration. And the interacting effects of CBD, which may have really interesting neurocognitive effects or anti-inflammatory effects, and THC, which may have pro-inflammatory effects, may be difficult to separate. So that answers, I think, and hopefully first part of the question is, is it the cannabinoid or not, and which cannabinoid is it? THC clearly uh, is the preponderant content. Gas phase of all of these volatiles is contaminated with things like acrolein and formaldehyde and uh, dimethyl nitrosamines, as well as um, anthracenes, which, all of which may have significant pro-carcinogenic effects. What is clear is that Chronic long-term smoking is associated with chronic respiratory symptoms. Those include daily cough, etc. Uh, as far as lung function change, there's several studies that looked at this, and these have both been with inception cohorts and longitudinal studies, as well as several cross-sectional studies. And it is clear that there are small but measurable changes in expiratory uh, flows and volumes, such that the changes associated directly with marijuana when one can separate out from marijuana and tobacco smoking are, are measurable, but certainly much less significant than tobacco smoking alone. What is most striking is the change on airways disease and symptoms of chronic bronchitis in that there is clear evidence of alterations in um, bronchial mucosa, cellular metaplasia and cellular inflammation, as well as hypersecretion in uh, mucous goblets and, uh, and dysfunction of the mucociliary escalator. And that seems to be apparent even with modest uh, amounts of marijuana uh, inhalation in a joint. So I think that uh, as far as the lung effects are concerned, we separate from the actual content, it's clear that there are real clinical symptoms associated with chronic use. As far as lung function is concerned, the impact is measurable but relatively small when it's in isolation of tobacco co-ingestion. That's uh, very interesting. Does, does marijuana cause lung cancer? So this may well be one of the most controversial areas. It's also the area that I think is most desperately in need of funded prospective research. You can imagine that 
this question has huge public health implications. It has impact on personal health and for our members of the American Thoracic Society who either practice currently in states where what's termed medical marijuana is readily available and soon decriminalized uh, marijuana will be readily available. It's really important to understand this. Again, let me reiterate that when uh, a joint is smoked, it's clear that this is a highly complex uh, mixture, not just of THC, but multiple carcinogenic chemicals. Polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, benzpyrene, benzanthracines um, are present in concentrations quite similar to that in, in regular tobacco smoke. And so while those agents have clearly been implicated as carcinogenic, what is different is that the marijuana joint is usually smoked in a completely different way from a, a cigarette, a, a tobacco cigarette. And so often, despite the content being very high, the amount of time that it's actually inhaled may be significantly less per joint. The addiction potential is also very different from nicotine, and so the compulsion component to a consistent high-level inhalation may be less. What we do know uh, therefore arises from in vitro studies where there is evidence of alterations in nucleocytoplasmic ratio, molecular markers of pre-tumor growth, and early procarcinogenic uh, growth factor expression in in vitro cell exposure studies to marijuana uh, smoke content. But epidemiologic studies don't necessarily bear out the same story. There are a few older studies, several from North Africa, that show an, an association with a perhaps a doubling in odds of risk in people with lifetime exposures of, uh, to marijuana for, for both non-small cell and small cell lung cancer. But on the other hand, the odds ratios in larger studies, one from New Zealand, um, 79 patients with age match controls, demonstrated that the effect was only present in those with the highest amount of use, more than 10 and a half joint years. So if, I, I know that sounds a little unusual for those used to pack years, but by essentially converting the number of joints per day over the number of years, ten, but more than 10 and a half joint years, was epidemiologically associated with a five-fold increase in marijuana. But that effect was not significant at lower levels of exposure. And so quite what it is about the intensity of exposure that yields that risk um, remains unclear. So in summary, I think that the association between marijuana smoke and aerodigestive uh, cancers remains unclear. There is some quite strong suggestion of, an, of a link, but the, the effect, the dose and the magnitude and the lead time that is associated with this is absolutely unknown. And this absolutely should be an area that we uh, advocate for as a society uh, for new research funding from the NIH and other organizations. You've alluded to, when you talked about 10 joint years, the, the difference between uh, smoking marijuana and smoking tobacco. And it, it doesn't seem fair to me uh, to compare the two because uh, a heavy tobacco smoker may smoke two to three packs, meaning, what is it, 20, 40, 60 cigarettes, each possibly for whatever, 10, 15 minutes, and much of their day is spent smoking or inhaling smoke, whatever it is. Whereas marijuana is, as you said, a heavy marijuana user would be 10 joints in a day, and they would have much less exposure to, the, uh, to just smoke, just the inheritance of smoking, regardless of what's in it. What do you think about that? 
Yes, I think that's an entirely legitimate critique. I, I think part of the challenge is that developing alternative metrics for dose has been confounded by the the mindset of not just criminalizing use, but almost outlawing science. And so it is imperative that I think, uh, from both from a policy and a science perspective, that we uh, develop well-validated and well-calibrated measures of total exposure if we're going to understand the dose-response effects to both inhalation or of combustible marijuana. And then I would argue that what we're seeing very extensively in uh, in decriminalization states is the use of edibles, ingestible marijuana, and hash oil. And so there, separately from inhaled combustible marijuana, we will need to have a clear understanding for the toxicologic effects of how to measure exposure and relate it to outcomes. Could you say a few words about the long-term effects of smoking marijuana, especially sure. on the respiratory track? Yeah, respiratory disease, or or for that matter, sleep and and other aspects of pulmonary critical care, sleep medicine. Yeah, I think the sleep one is actually fascinating. Again, I preface my comments by highlighting the the real paucity of, of real data, but it it's fascinating because cannabinoids, in their purest form, are clearly both psychoactive and bioactive. The, the focus of our report here was not to explore very substantially the neurocognitive and addictive and behavioral aspects of uh, cannabis use. Uh, clearly, those have been done by other experts. And I think in time, our society will need to look at those aspects as well as they impact on the diseases that we're focused on. But it, it's fascinating that at least 60 bioactive cannabinoids uh, have highly interdependent effects that can have neurocognitive consequences. And uh, you asked about the long-term effects, and what is quite fascinating is that there are quite interesting changes of long-term marijuana use on sleep architecture. Uh, for example, uh, there's increased sleep latency. Some reports have showed uh, deep sleep uh, that is increased or decreased, and again, some controversy around its impact on rapid eye movement, although I think it seems that that is in aggregate less affected in several of the reports that we reviewed and with experts we spoke. One of the highest quality studies we looked at looked at uh, cannabinoid extracts, THC and the cannabidiol, that's CBD, and um, they established that it had no meaningful impact on any consequential measure of sleep. But there was an effect on uh, morning after sleepiness, so that there was a, a post-sleep phenomenon suggesting that uh, components of neurocognition and reticular activation were impacted that were somewhat separate from the sleep neuroarchitecture, which I think is very poorly understood and uh, may well have important impacts and benefits. That said, what we're seeing already in the community and where I think behavior and use is well ahead of where the science is, is that uh, there's wide anecdotal use of marijuana, marijuana extracts, and cannabinoids almost in the herbal kind of range to modify sleep, sleep architecture. And these are somewhat anecdotal reports from people nationally and internationally. But it, it's abundantly clear that there are chronic effects of long-term use in that regard. You'd asked about the other aspect, which is lung health. And briefly, I think that what we know there, again, relates to uh, chronic bronchitis and the possible exposure to uh, special risk of carcinoma. Yes. Well, I think that will do it for today. I'm uh, Dean Schroffnagel, and I've been speaking with Dr. Ivor Douglas, professor of medicine at the University of Colorado. Dr. Douglas was the lead author of an article that appears in the November 
2015 issue of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society entitled Implications of Marijuana Decriminalization on the Practice of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for listening.